does Kershaw tipping pitches CJ how does the hitter see that and take advantage well first and foremost Chris if it did happen it always happens when the pitcher is in the stretch rarely can you pick up pitches when a guy is thrown from the lineup and that's what we saw in that seventh inning It's been kind of a wild week, if you like dingers, because uh, we had the Home Run Derby on Monday. We had an All-Star game that was just home run after home run after home run. And now Matt Carpenter has homered in like six straight games and like had three home runs on Friday. What is What the hell is going on, man? We haven't, we haven't had a juiced ball conversation uh, in a while. I think it's time that we bring that back. Because that was so fun the first time around. Every oh my time God, someone was... hit a home run, we just yelled, juice ball. <laughs> that was really <laughs> scintillating analysis on our part. I saw... That w- it was a really fun part of Twitter, I think. I saw Cespedes Family Barbecue tweeted, best carpenter since Jesus. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good wrong. content. Yeah, a lot of dingers. A lot of bat flips, too. I like how the bat flips come out during the home run derby, but... During the actual game, they won't do it. Like, why can't Bryce Harper two-hand overhead outlet pass his bat to the dugout, <laughs> like on a fly ball to center field? In God, I know, right? August. I want him to do that just to see the takes that follow. Like, I just want to be glued to the New York Post um, for a week after that, as they talk about how he's an immature child. I don't even think there would be takes. I think everyone who would have a take about that, their head would just explode simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, you're you're not wrong. It'd be like, yeah. It'd be like some kind of frequency that would make robots explode or something in some future. <laughs> where robots take over the world. Um yeah, the home run derby was fun. I enjoyed that very much. The home run derby is good. I don't I don't get people who are against the home run derby who are like, this is boring. This is a boring TV spectacle. TV spectacles is what I'm signing up for here by watching sports. I'm not trying to get some deep, you know, deeper meaning out of a home run derby. I'm just trying to watch someone hit the ball a very long way. Yeah. Are you not entertained? Come on. It was it was very enjoyable. Max Muncy was in the home run derby, which was very a very strange thing to say in the year 2018. He's like, I just he's so irrelevant he's like the most irrelevant good player in a long time i know i know like he's he's more irrelevant than logan morrison (laughs) who was like trying to make a stink that he wasn't invited to the home run derby last year was he really yeah there was like that whole story where he was like i have 23 home runs but bryce harper only has like 14 i i see where mlb's priorities lie some bullshit like that what He's like, I have as many home runs as Aaron Judge. Like, nobody cares about you, Logan Morrison. You're hitting 210 on the Rays. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's how much I care about Logan Morrison. We really should have, we needed Joey Gallo in the home run derby. That's what we needed. I don't, yeah. I think they should start doing it by, like, I think they should start selecting not from home run totals, but total home run distance. So, like, if Joey Gallo has 15 home runs and that would be too few to put him in the home run derby. I feel like those 15 home runs went further than Alex Bregman's 21 home runs. Yeah, I know, right? Like, Alex Bregman's a line drive hitter who happens to hit home runs because everyone hits home runs now. No, I want the guys who are, like, born and bred to do this. Yeah. New rule. You have to be 6'4 to be in the home run derby. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just to discriminate against short people. Yeah, this is absolutely discriminatory. Yeah, the home run derby... It's good, dude. I think it's one of the best parts about All-Star Weekend or All-Star Week. I'm not a big fan of the game. I know we talked about this last week, but and we did a bad job of PR for MLB. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we added on to that issue that they have for themselves. But I don't know. Every year I seem to just enjoy the home run. I, I hear I hear people complaining about it for like the three days leading up to it. Then the TV spectacle starts and everyone watches and it doesn't start for an hour. And I'm like, why are you even watching at that point? Like the whole day they shot off the fireworks and there was smoke all over the field. It's like, why Why is this your TV even on yet? Uh, yeah. Also, I love the dual narratives of like the home run derby is pointless and it doesn't matter at all. But also, no matter what happens, 
for the rest of Bryce Harper's season, people are going to use the home run derby as the pivotal moment where something changed. It either destroyed his swing and he's never going to be good again, or it's exactly what he needed to just get him back in the groove. Like it's going to be the uh, central part of the narrative from here on out, no matter what. With all the data that we have in baseball, I feel like at this point we should stop pretending that the home run derby is not just batting practice. The home run derby is batting practice. People do (laughs) this before every game. Yeah, and they're literally. not destroying their swing. Like it's just batting practice on steroids. It's endurance batting practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I'm not gonna lie. I so I love the home run derby too, and it's really fun to see like all the players out on like the side of the field and like hyping each other up. Um, seeing a bunch of it's like seeing a bunch of friends get together who like never really get to hang out, you know. Um, and I love that aspect of it, but. I'm not even going to lie. Even the All-Star game this year was kind of fun. I was into it. I didn't watch the whole thing, um, but I watched the first few innings. And I love, I love when they, like, mic players up in the field. And and you get, like, uh, like Mookie Betts going out there and chatting with them or something like that. I just kind of peeling back uh, the top layer and actually getting... Uh, inside these players' heads a little more is, I think, really fun. Especially when the, especially when they're playing a game that like means absolutely nothing, so they can like decompress a little bit and relax and not take things too seriously. I think one of my favorite parts about that is that Joe Buck doesn't know how to say goodbye to people. Like as they're <laughs> running in every time, Joe Buck is like, "Well, well um, good luck out there, and have a good rest of your season." <laughs> and every time, it's like the most awkward thing ever. I agree. Yeah. Someone was talking around the office about how they should do that for every regular season game. And I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. It seems like a lot. Although I would totally love to get players. I don't know about every regular season game because I don't really want to. I don't think I'm interested in hearing like what Matt Olson has to say in like the middle of a July game against the Reds. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I would be interested to hear players mic'd up in their environment a little more i mean i feel like we've we've talked about this in the context of like the umpire video you know yeah. um with with terry collins but actually getting players um i don't know not after the game when everyone's just like crowding around and like asking them questions like i feel like this is kind of a nice marrying of the two of like you don't hear players at all because they're boring and no one wants to talk to them or they get mic shoved into their face and they give you like milk toast uh, your run-of-the-mill answers. I mean, what they should do is they should mic the catcher because that would be so interesting because every time there's a mound visit, you could hear what they're saying. And every time they're talking in the dugout, you could hear what they're saying. But they would never agree to doing that, especially umpires would never agree to it either. No. And also, that'd be like the easiest way to steal science in the history of baseball. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go with two pats on the right leg. It's fastball. <laughs> there's not a lot of work that goes in. You don't even need iPads for that. Yeah, you could mic the the first baseman though, and and again, these are we talked about this with Fernando Perez, right? Yeah, about those conversations on first first base. That's what I want to hear, man. That would be pretty funny. Yeah, I uh, I saw a video of of course the NFL doesn't release this stuff till like two years later because they have no idea what the fuck they're doing. But I saw a video of Andrew Luck. I guess it's been like two years since Andrew Luck played football, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Uh, every time he just got hit, like after he would make a throw and the, the lineman would like take him down afterwards, he'd be like, good hit, big boy. Hey, that's a nice hit, man. <laughs> or the guy would like apologize for if he hit him like a little hard and luck would be like, hey, man, that's just football. You're just doing your job, big boy, big hog. <laughs> and I'm like, this is funny. I want the baseball equivalent of this, which would just be Joey Votto, Mike Dillman first base. Yeah, that's that's really, I think, what we were getting at is we just want Joey Votto mic'd up all the time. I don't really care about I don't care about anyone else. If there was like a premium level of an MLB TV subscription where Joey Votto was mic'd up, I would write a blank check for it. I'm not kidding. Uh, absolutely. I think we just figured it out. We just figured out how to make baseball interesting. Yeah, we literally did. It was not that hard. <laughs> Him and Lindor... Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just pick one player from each team and mic them up all the time, and they can just pass it around if they want. Well, meanwhile, MLB commissioner Rob Manfred thinks it's uh, it's Mike Trout's fault that he's so boring and that the MLB doesn't market him well. I was listening to Effectively Wild, and they said that Mike Trout has more Instagram and Twitter followers than Bryce Harper, which is just like, just goes to show you if you never post, doesn't help you. 
<laughs> social media. Like Mike Trout will post a picture of him like fishing every six weeks. <laughs> like this is fun, I guess. <laughs> it, like won't even be him with a fish. It'll just be like him with a fish pole. Yeah. <laughs> He's already on like dad dad levels of Instagram. Rob Manfred is dumb. I don't know how many different stories we need to prove this fact, but Rob Manfred is dumb. This is like an incredibly stupid quote. He's like, Mike has made decisions on what he wants to do, doesn't want to do, how he wants to spend his free time or not spend his free time. I think we could help him make his brand very big, but he has to make a decision to engage. It takes time and effort. And like, this is all because I guess Mike Trout doesn't really like doing commercials very much. And I'm like, so you're just throwing in the towel at this point? Like Mike Trout doesn't want to do commercials so you're just saying well that's it we have no other way of marketing him than through tv commercials first of all it's not his obligation to overcome decades of suppression of individuality that's not mike trout's job what do you mean you can't market him you ever seen him in those subway ads he's killing it (laughs) yeah right like (laughs) like you're saying he, yeah, he's doing his part of the equation very well by being the best baseball player on the planet. I feel like now it falls to you to make sure that everyone is aware of that. As the little literal organization that runs his team, I think the, the marketing part kind of falls on you and not on him. But that's just my opinion. I also, if we had Rob on the podcast, if he was the third line right now, <laughs> I would love to know... The answer to the question, what do you want Mike Trout to do? Show me an example of a professional athlete who's doing something that you would allow and you would want Mike Trout to do. Do you want him to kneel during the national anthem? Do you want him <laughs> be incredible? Do you want him to come out and rip Trump and call him you bum? No, you don't want him to do any of those things. So where is the professional athlete who's marketing himself in a way that is, you know, conducive to the baseball environment that you and MLB are supporting Rob like that it doesn't exist that's Francisco Lindor and yet you're still complaining about how that baseball is not popular enough Francisco Lindor is the most likable athlete in America period he's never done anything to alienate anyone ever he's the happiest person I've ever seen playing baseball he is more marketable than LeBron but basketball is just a more marketable sport LeBron has alienated and pissed off a lot of people but he's much more popular than his counterpart Cleveland athlete because MLB is just bad at doing it, at at marketing and PR and supporting individuality and putting it up on a pedestal. Like, I I just, I'm so sick of Rob Manfred. Like, I'm just, I want CeCe Sabathia to be the commissioner of baseball so bad. Honestly, no, you're so right though. Like all this stuff that they talk about in terms of like marketing players, it's like, this is the stuff that's probably going to drive away a portion of your fan base. If you actually have players like speak their minds and like say the stuff that they're thinking about, like you were ultimately going to end up alienating some people. And like, personally, I think that that's okay. That is a very worthy trade-off to make to allow players to actually like be humans in like in front of uh all their fans but i i don't know i don't i feel like rob manfred is just like screaming at a wall and just expecting change i I don't know man i loved i love trout's quote where he uh his statement in response and he was like I've received a lot of questions about his statement. I'm not a petty guy, and I want to encourage everyone to just move forward. Everything is cool between the commissioner and myself. End of story. I am just ready to play some baseball. Like, can you imagine a more wholesome response to, like, this whole thing? Trout could have come out and been like, you know what? Like, I think I do a pretty good job of... uh, of like wearing my heart on my sleeve and like and going out and like playing baseball like really hard and stuff and and you know I I encourage everyone to like come and tune in and like watch and he's like no oh man I just like want to sock some dingers and move on from this whole thing yeah this is just like another example of that thing that we talked about with Manfred where it's like he doesn't fully understand that people who like baseball like baseball you know what I mean like yeah. when we had the whole thing about how he was freaking out over game time being like ten minutes longer. Or like slightly over three hours. Or the whole thing where it was like, we want to put a runner on second in the 10th inning. All those things. It's like, actually, we're here to watch baseball. Actually, we're here to watch Mike Trout. If you're here to watch baseball, Mike Trout is the most fun athlete. You know, if you love baseball, Mike Trout's the most fun athlete and most easily marketable. Because all you have to do is put a video of him ripping 
two doubles to the gap and hitting a home run that gets out in three seconds. Rob Manfred has this weird fundamental misunderstanding that baseball fans don't actually want to watch baseball. They want to watch all of the sideshow. It's like, actually, no, we kind of do want to watch baseball. I'm here to watch the game. I like it. I don't think that I've really seen like MLB social media accounts or like any other like promotional commercials like mention that he's the greatest player alive right now and literally one of the greatest players of all time. Like they do the cool like eyes emoji when Trout has like a good night or something like that. But the easiest way to market him is like we're watching a generational talent right now. Say that. Say that to people. Like just acknowledge the the wealth of talent that you have in front of you. And that's a very easy way to get people to tune in. Yeah. He's doing the heavy lifting. Literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a tank. Yeah. <laughs> I've, all of this stuff is very obvious, but I love to take any opportunity I can to rant about how bad baseball is and all this stuff. Uh, same. Elsewhere in All-Star Game news, it was a bit of... I mean, I know it was fun. Scooter Jeanette doing Scooter Jeanette things, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Scooter Jeanette is on a lifelong mission to prove you wrong. That one time on the podcast, you were like, I guess Scooter Jeanette hitting 20 home runs is fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was like one of the first podcasts you were like, everyone's hitting home runs. Fucking Scooter Jeanette has 20 home runs. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's on a lifelong mission to prove you, Alex Basley, wrong. Yeah, but clearly. So the game was entertaining, and it's funny that Rob Manfred was probably sweating that it went into extra innings, but there was like a lot of sideshow aspects going on to it. Like, it's so weird in baseball when you are seeing things unfold in real time when it comes to like trades or when it comes to like online storylines, Twitter storylines, because baseball is such a slow paced game and Twitter is so not. (laughs) And so when you're watching storylines unfold like really rapidly on Twitter, and every, everyone's just standing around doing nothing on the field. You want to just scream at the TV and be like, you idiots, your whole lives are changing. <laughs> and that like this MLB All-Star game was a very good example of that when it comes to Machado and Josh Hader. Yeah, so Manny Machado to the Dodgers is fun, I guess. Now, now LA has, now you get to go watch LeBron and uh, Mike Trout and Manny Machado. Like this isn't fair. Can I come join you out there? It's literally like I started something. I yeah. came out here, and then LeBron came, and then Manny Machado came. <laughs> they were like, "Oh, oh, B Wags one one two ones going out west." I guess I am too. Yeah, follow me on Twitter. I'm not gonna say that it was all me, but like, you're not not gonna say it. Yeah, who's coming next? <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm excited to watch Manny Machado in a Dodgers uniform. I am happy for him that he got out of Baltimore because, oh man, what a situation. I feel bad for the Baltimore fans, man. I Oh, I feel very bad for them. I'm going to Machado's first home game for the Dodgers. And I'm going to I'm going to gauge their appreciation for him. <laughs> they're probably going to be very happy that he's not Logan Forsythe. Yeah, I am sure they're going to love him. Yeah. You want know, the the oh god, the most frustrating thing. The Dodgers are so good. This is really not fair. They have like 10 position players or something like that who are above average hitters at this point. Like, they really didn't even need Manny Machado. They needed pitching, like, a bullpen more than they needed another above-average player. Like, come on, man. Yeah. But, I mean, if they're going to face the Astros again in the World Series, they're going to need a lineup that can go nine deep. Yeah, I <laughs> like guess so. Like the Astros can. When, when life gives you Machado, you make M- Machado-aid. <laughs> I was not sure where you were going with that. Yeah, me neither. it's sort of a weird deal i mean i don't feel like we need to do a deep analysis of this but like all year i've kind of been skeptical that he would go to the dodgers because they're really just going to trade for him for half a season and then do nothing like are are they going to resign him are they going to move cody bellinger to the outfield then if they resign him because you have to bring seager back at some point like you can't not have seager in your lineup right because he's the top five player in the league I guess they're just going with the amass as many generational talents and figure it out later aspect. Who's going to play second base? <laughs> Max Muncy. Yeah, well, okay. If Max Muncy plays second base, who's playing first? Bell- I, I guess Chris Taylor will play second base. And they have three I don't know, they have- left side of the infield players that are yeah. that all hit over 300 and are like six war players. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do with them? <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like they won't sign Machado. I think that he's like... As far as rentals go, he is not a bad rental to have. Like one of the best 
third baseman slash shortstop in the game, potential MVP candidate. You could do you could do worse. He's certainly not uh, like a rental we've seen in the past. Um, yeah. Do you think Justin Turner can play first or second? I or the outfield. It's, it's not that hard to figure out, right? Yeah. How hard can first be? The Mets were about to put Yoenis Cespedes there. Oh God, it's a whole different mess. Yeah, for real. Yeah, the Machado deal interesting. Weird that it happened when it happened. Feels yeah. like everyone kind of knew about it. I think he knew about it also. Yeah, I think he did too. I mean, there were so many rumors floating around and like everyone was talking about how he was um hanging out with Matt Kemp a lot before the game and they took like a selfie on second base and stuff and everyone's like, "Oh my god." So, he he knew it was coming. I'm pretty sure it was like Jeff Sullivan or someone who tweeted out like that selfie of Machado and Matt Kemp and was like, "Try to explain this to your 2015 self." <laughs> When Matt Kemp was like the worst player in MLB and Manny Machado was like the, the Orioles saving cornerstone. Yeah. <laughs> cornerstone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's tough. That's a tough that's a tough thing for the the Orioles fan. God, I know. Yeah, so we came into the night basically being like, well, the Machado trade is probably going to be the biggest conversation kind of swirling around this game and he got traded in the middle of the game so it was like well this is going to dominate the conversation for the rest of the night <laughs> not if josh Hader has his way uh yeah, because, not if josh Hader has anything to tweet about it yeah seriously he was just um upset that a latin american player was stealing the spotlight from him yikes uh yeah so he had some fun tweets unearthed uh during the game as he gave up a three-run home run they're, they're not good, certainly. I don't think we should link to them. I'm certainly not going to repeat any of them on the podcast. Are they but, still there? Uh, I think they're... I'm pretty sure he like went made his Twitter private or deleted Yeah, them. yeah. I do have a few of them like saved uh, somewhere, but they're, they're, they're dark, man. They're bad. They He tweeted them when in like 2012, 2011, 2012, uh, and it's a lot, of, a lot of really racist, homophobic, generally not great stuff. Like I don't think I've I've ever seen someone go full Nazi so so fast. I'm uh I'm less interested in the tweets because it's very obvious what they are. It's just racist and homophobic views from a yeah. racist and homophobic person. Yep. I'm more interested in the weird obsession with the defense of him from like baseball writers and from his team. I just I saw something the other day that was like I wish MLB players were as prone to defend their players for bat flipping as they were for Josh Hader for tweeting racist and homophobic slurs when he was 16. Yeah. It's just, it's very weird. Yeah, it is weird. I like, I think that I am sure that there are players on the brewers who genuinely didn't really care, you know, who, and maybe it's possible shared even some of the same sentiments with him. I don't think his, he, the news broke and everyone was, uh, very distraught and upset by it, but I don't think that he's the only one in the MLB to uh, hold certain views like that. Um, I I would imagine that there's a portion of his team who did not support the things that he said, but didn't really feel like they were in a position to speak out against it for yeah. fear of retaliation from the league or retaliation from the fans or even... Can we just, just talk about for one second before you continue this point how fucking backwards that is? Players feel legitimate fear of retaliation from the league for condemning their teammate for tweeting like homophobic and racial slurs for tweeting from, white power. Yeah. Like straight I up. Just, like, and oh my God, I just, it's mind blowing to me that I just, that the MLB could cultivate a culture where people feel fear for speaking out against that. Imagine if this happened in the NBA. I hate being the, the people who are like the NBA, the NBA, the NBA, but do you remember when LeBron's house was vandalized and he like very explicitly addressed it and condemned it? Like that's what this is. Except it'd be like if it found if LeBron had found out that it was like Kevin Love who did it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like crazy. <laughs> I know. I know. I I also I hate the the beat reporters who are like who go up to his teammates then, especially his 
his like black and Latin American teammates and be like, well, like, what do you think of this? And be like, no, they don't have to answer for his racism. Like, don't put them in that position where they have to either sit here and rebuke him and be like, yeah, I don't like my teammate. And again, fear of retaliation or sit there and be like, yeah, we're cool with it. Like they shouldn't, you know, the questions should be asked of Josh Hader and Brewers management and the league at large of yeah. why of why they cultivate this sort of thing. I don't know. It's it's really messed up all around. But obviously we hear it. Tipping pitches condemn it strongly. So, yeah. I, it's another example. This is all sports, but it's another example of how talent matters more than morality. Because if he was a, if he was like a low nineties, four point five ERA innings leader, he would have been cut immediately. But yeah. he's not. He's been the best reliever in baseball all year, and so and so he got a standing ovation when he came back to Miller Park because he'd been persecuted. Oh, persecuted. He hasn't even given a real fucking apology. He hasn't even done anything to show remorse. He just came out and said that he regretted it. He re- no, like that this is a yeah, textbook not, example of you regret you regret getting caught. Like yeah. if you really cared that much about it, you knew that you tweeted these things. Like if you've really had this personal growth, you know that these are things that you've said in the past and you would go back and delete them for fear of your own personal brand being damaged or even better, for fear of you offending someone when they see how abhorrent your views were. You don't... His views haven't changed. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what he says. Your views haven't changed. If you haven't gone back and scrubbed this from your history and made a legitimate effort to then be an ally and fix the way that you've behaved in the past, then your views haven't changed. He hasn't done anything to show that. And so, therefore, he is cancelled. <laughs> speaking of which i don't know how as a team you have a such a good player and like there's not it's not anyone's job to just do like a cursory check of their twitter and just search like a few keywords and be like let's make sure this guy has nothing that's like gonna come back to bite him in the butt like that would be so easy it would take 10 minutes to just search through like your 25 man roster and be like let's make sure no one has tweeted anything about white power in the last few years you don't even need to be yeah you don't even need to be like a coder you don't even need to be half (laughs) as smart as some of the people who work for mlb to do this you need to just google search twitter advanced search and yeah. then fill out the form that they give yeah. you. It's very oh my easy. God. It is incredibly easy. And it's mind-boggling that teams don't do that. But I, you know, I guess it's for our benefit. We know who uh who not to trust around the league anymore. So it's just it's ridiculous. And his yeah. stupid ass white teammates who were like standing in support of him while he was giving his fake apology. Yeah. Fuck all of them too. Goodbye. Yeah, pretty much. We'll put uh, them all on a rocket and fire them all to the sun at the same time. Friend of the pod, uh, Bob Nightingale, tweeted that the Brewers as a team forgave him after he cried during his apology, to which I say, good, we, we should make him cry. The more the more racists that cry, the better. Did the Brewers forgive him as a team? Really? Do we know for sure that everyone <laughs> forgave him with the uh, the amount of players of color that the Brewers have on their team? Do we know hey, that? If, if, our, if our man's Bob says it, it's, it must be true, right? Oh, if Bob Nightingale says that he knows that the Brewers as a team forgave him when he cried because of those five guys, those five white teammates who were standing behind him in support, then that definitely means that deep down, Lorenzo Cain is just fine with this. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Uh, all right. Yeah, we have to we have to move on from this before we get too uh, riled up about it again. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have a real listener question. All right, so at the end of every episode, we let people know that they can email or DM questions to us, and few people ever do. But You say that's... few like some people have. Like, we've gotten maybe one at this point. <laughs> we've gotten like two or three. <laughs> anyway, just yesterday, actually, just in time for today's recording of the podcast, uh, listener Caleb sent in a question via Twitter DM, and we're going to answer it because we appreciate that. So he said, if Trevor Bauer continues pitching how he has been so far this year, He's going to be one of the front runners for the AL Cy Young Award. However, a good chunk of his starts have been against the historically bad AL Central. How much weight do you think this will hold in the eyes of the voters? 
is it a valid argument or should the award go to the best pitcher in the league, regardless of who they faced? Um, I know you've done a little bit deeper statistical look at this than I have, but I just want to kind of lay the foundation for this question. And the foundation for this question is that the voting public changes on this because it's like a, because the baseball writers association of America, they pull from a different group of people every year because it's such a big association. And so it kind of depends who happens to be voting, how much they value the raw numbers or how much they value park adjusted, league adjusted, competition adjusted numbers or expect expected outcome numbers. So my guess would be that not a lot of the voters are going to be hip with XFIP or FIP or even, I mean, war is accepted largely now, but war doesn't always, actually war doesn't account for competition. And so I just want to say, likely that the people voting will not take into account some of the things we're about to talk about, but <laughs> go ahead, Alex. Yeah. So my, my gut reaction to this was like, probably not like, like I don't think that they would take it into account a ton, whether that's because the majority of the writers, you know, were, were born like pre-1950 um yeah or the majority of the writers remember when people were coming back from the war exactly (laughs) um so i don't think that it would hold a ton of weight but like i think that it's um situational too like you can i don't think that it would be fair to just handicap trevor bauer just because he plays in a bad division but if you go and look at his sample sizes against or his samples against good teams and bad teams. And you see that like his ERA, for example, is being dragged down by a bunch of really good starts against a bunch of really bad teams, then that's maybe something to take into account. And on on the year for Bauer, like it's pretty it's pretty even. So he's he has faced 14 teams sub 500 and only seven above 500. But like that's insane. That division is so bad. Well, yeah. So, so, and his, his ERA is like, um, it's not that different. It's like a 2.3 against the bad teams and 2.6 against the good teams. Uh, so whatever, that's a fine, it's like a fine split. Um, but I was curious. So like I dug back into just the last few years of, uh, Cy Young award voting just to kind of see who the winners were and how that things shook out. So we can actually just go back to last year for an example. First of all, Max Scherzer in 2017, 23 of his starts were against sub-500 teams, and only eight were against above-500 teams. Wow. That's insane. And Corey Kluber had a similar split. But you want to know why Max Scherzer won the Cy Young? That's because against those uh, below-500 teams, he had a 2.73 ERA. And against the above 500 teams, his ERA was 1.84. Jesus wow. Christ, dude. He was a run better against good teams. <laughs> Come on. That's the most Max Scherzer shit I've ever heard. Seriously. He's a nut. Yeah. So that, that's a long-winded answer um, with, a, with a fun Max Scherzer anecdote. But I think that like as long as you're actually performing against the good teams, I don't think it would matter that much. I think it matters more if like you're in a neck and neck race with another pitcher or something like that. Yeah. Um, In terms of how I think baseball writers will actually value it, I think he will probably get dinged more than he should for being in a division with terrible teams. I think the general consensus is that he probably beats up on bad, like on bad teams and bad players. But at the same time, like that hasn't knocked Corey Kluber. They're literally teammates, and Corey Kluber has won like three Cy Youngs. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it'll do if he's actually if he remains this good. If he remains the war leader in pitching, which he is right now on Fangraphs, at least I'm not sure about Baseball Reference, but on Fangraphs he's the war leader for pitchers. I think that he won't be dinged enough to really lose out. But also, it's not like he's exceptionally ahead of Chris Sale right now. Like they're almost neck and neck in war. Bauer's pitched a little bit more, and so Sale has a chance to kind of catch him. And Bauer's been a little luckier. Chris Sale's home run to fly ball ratio is 10%, as opposed to Bauer's, who's really low at 5.1%. And so, in turn, that makes Chris Sale's expected FIP 
which is <laughs> we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit here. But the expected outcomes of the actual pitches and the batted balls that he's had would lead you to believe that Chris Sale will continue to be this good and Bauer might regress a little bit. But you never know. It, the thing is, like, if he continues to suppress home runs the way he does, like, that will that will carry him very far. And he added um, a new pitch in the offseason that is clearly serving him very well. Like, I saw, I saw a writer the other day. It was like a fantasy baseball article, but I saw a writer being like, you should sell high on Trevor Bauer because he has a career ERA close to four and his ERA this year is close to two, which means he's going to regress. And I'm like, such that, a lazy what? argument. <laughs> what? That doesn't work like that. So pitchers just can't get better then? Like, that's like, know. that's like that Aaron Judge article the other day in the New York Times. You should sell high on Aaron Judge because <laughs> up to the time he was 25, he couldn't figure it out. And now that he's figured it out, he's hitting fucking 60 home runs a year. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. So, so if Bauer continues to show that he made a clear mechanical adjustment or a, a change to his arsenal and it's working out for him, then yeah, man, I don't know. He's right there. To answer the last part of the question, which is, is it a valid argument or should the award go to the best pitcher in the league regardless of who they faced? I think it's a valid argument. I think you should take into account competition at some level. Like if you have neck and neck pitchers in terms of their profile, their statistical profile, like say that Chris Sale and Trevor Bauer are right now, I think that Chris Sale should get the benefit of the doubt because he's had to face the Yankees, you know, four times and he's had to face a little bit stiffer competition. But maybe that's just me personally. I would be sympathetic to the other side of that argument too, just because baseball's random. Like even if you face a bad team, it doesn't mean that they were bad that day and doesn't mean they all have all bad hitters. They could just have historically terrible pitching, like maybe the Reds a couple of years ago. And so it's a little bit tougher. You might have to like isolate variables for bad lineups as opposed to just bad teams. And at that point, it's just like you're going, you're really going down a statistical rabbit hole. I think it's a valid to look at the competition. I think it's just, it can inform your decision as opposed to being one of the chief decision-making points. Yeah, definitely. And you know, what I will say is like, so Bowers splits on the year a lot more even, but he has his ERA against above 500 teams is almost a run higher. So I, it's like at a certain point you start messing with like sample sizes and being like, well, is like 56 innings enough to like actually say that he's worse against these bad teams. But I don't know. I, at some point it almost feels like the, the peripheral stats fall away. And I'm like, I don't necessarily care what he should have done. I care what he actually did. And so if Trevor Bauer in his limited sample size was better against the few teams he faced, then that's a valid enough argument to me to say, hey, maybe he was the best pitcher in baseball this year. Uh, one last thing. Fun stat. This doesn't necessarily mean that Bauer will win Cy Young or won't win Cy Young. But his home runs per nine, 0.38. He leads the league. He leads all qualified pitchers. Do you want to know who's the worst at that? Uh, Lucas Giolito. No, although Lucas Giolito has been terrible this year. Jacob Junis, giving up 2.04 home runs per nine. Ooh, boy. <laughs> That's tough, man. That's real tough. Uh, yeah. While we're on the topic of bad stats, can we talk about how Tyler Chatwood is walking batters at a rate of eight per nine? That's not a real number. <laughs> he's walking guys at a rate higher than he's striking guys out or giving up hits. That's insane. You want to talk about three true outcomes. He's really <laughs> yeah. leaning towards one of those. Yeah, seriously. All right. that's uh, That was fun. If you have listener questions and you want to ask them to us so that you get excellent answers and first name addresses on the podcast, please feel free. <laughs> Tippingpitchespot at gmail.com. Tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. <laughs> uh, when we come back, Alex is going to get to brag about the A's and I'm going to cry about Yohannes Cespedes' heel. So my hot take coming into the season about the A's was that they were going to win 
87 games and push for a wildcard spot. Mm-hmm. They are on pace to win 92 games and they're toiling in third place behind the Mariners and the historically good Astros, which doesn't seem fair to me, frankly. It's I just think not Rob Manfred fair. should do should do something about that. It's just cruel. Um, it it is cruel. Uh but the A's are good. And that makes me really happy because as some of you might know, I'm an A's fan. And me too. Uh and yeah, yeah, right. Lifelong. Always love the A's. <laughs> it's been my team forever. I hate it um, when they traded that Josh Donaldson guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really fun because I, you know, they're, they're winning a lot of games late. Like I think they, they lead the league and run scored after like the seventh inning or something like that, which frankly, actually I'd rather they didn't win that way. Like I'd rather they score the runs first, but you know, I guess whatever works. Right. Uh, but like, it gives me vibes of 2012, except for the fact that like, I know that all these players are going to be around next year. Like they're actually on the upswing as opposed to just pulling players off the scrap heap. And just cobbling something together that have and catching lightning in a bottle and have having something work, you know. Uh, they have so many fun young players who are good and in theory will continue to get better. So that's enjoyable for me. Yeah. What does it feel like to have a team of players who are all on similar trajectories? Because I don't <laughs> know that I will ever feel that feeling. Because I'm used to having one group of my team be young and incredible and the other group of my team be aging and falling apart (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it, uh it feels good man matt chapman is very fun to watch and so i definitely just bought a knockoff jersey that's coming from china and that will get here in like a month uh (laughs) because i needed one of those man (laughs) that's coming from china uh that's tough though some of the knockoff jerseys the baseball ones are, are bad from china so i hope that you get a good one yeah, my Harvey, my my like Harvey one looked okay. Yeah, I have a David Wright one. The font is a little too small. The orange is the wrong color. It's bad. But yeah, if you squint, it it looks fine. It's, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not a stickler for that sort of thing. I spilled cheese sauce on it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, side note, I'm on the uh I'm on the Fangraphs rest of season projections. They project the A's to win 87 games as opposed to like the 92 win pace that they're on right now. That's all well and good. Whatever. They could win 95 for all we know. Baseball's fickle. But the Astros are 100% to make the playoffs, 24.5% to win the World Series. That has to be one of the highest. This early on in the season, that has to be one of the highest percent to win the World Series that I've seen. That's like insane. A one in four chance to win the World Series is like high even for like the second round of the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's ridiculous. That's not fair. It's uh yeah well they're thirty one games over five hundred. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The Mets have a point three percent chance to make the playoffs and a zero point zero percent chance to win the World Series. Uh, that's rough. <laughs> According to Fangraphs. <laughs> um yeah, the A's. We sort of at the beginning of the season talked a lot about their lineup and how it was pretty solid, like top ten in the league, solid. Um, and they were getting really good production from guys like Matt Olson, Chris Davis. Even Matt Chapman was hitting really well at the beginning of the season, and he wasn't just like amassing ridiculous amounts of war because he's the best third baseman ever, <laughs> or since like the best defensive third baseman since like Scott Rowland. But it's like interesting to see how they've sort of cobbled together this actual playoff contender this early on, just from like they don't have any pitching. We talked a lot about that earlier in the season. They don't have any starting pitching, but their bullpen has yeah, been... Edwin, ja- Edwin Jackson is making regular starts <laughs> for this baseball team in 2018, and he's actually okay. But like their bullpen has been really good, despite the fact that the Washington Nationals took all of their good bullpen pieces last year at the trade deadline, which just goes to show you like it can sometimes backfire. Michael Bauman had a good piece about this for the ringer. It can sometimes backfire when you trade... Uh, like for like players who are sort of like and one end of the bargain is like sort of close to being ready for the MLB and the other end of the bargain is like ready made to help teams contend at the trade deadline so like for example last year at the trade deadline the A's traded Ryan Madsen and our beloved Sean Doolittle for Blake Trinan right and 
I don't know, a couple and a, other and a, pieces. And a, and a, yeah, and a couple prospects. And now Blake Trinan is like, he has like a 1.1 ERA. It is just like, he has that insane sinker that just strikes everyone out. And he's like yeah. arguably better than either of those guys. Maybe Sean Doolittle is on his level, but definitely better than Ryan Madsen. And I don't know, it's not always a one-to-one comparison because you can't really compare how Blake Trinan like figured things out in Oakland versus how he was struggling in Washington. Maybe he had a pitching coach tell him a slightly different thing, but it's like, it's weird how that was the way that the A's contended after all of these years and years of you being frustrated over trading away their best players right when they get really good. And now they like got back a player by trading away some of their best players when they got really good. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. No, that trade looks incredibly good in hindsight, not to mention they have who is now one of the best pitching prospects in baseball in uh, Jesus Luzardo, um, who's the one of the other prospects they got back in that trade. So yeah, things look good, man. The future is bright. Um, I, I'm looking at this piece by Zach Cram on the Dude, ringer. You forgot to mention AJ Puck too. We can't talk about the A's and their future without mentioning AJ Puck. God, yeah, I know. Except it's going to be a year until I get to see him again. It breaks my heart. That's okay. Um, Everyone needs to just get that TJ out of the way, man. Yeah, that's every time you think right, every time you get worried about it, just think about Jacob Degrom. He got it out of the way before he even got to the majors. That's. I think it means that AJ Puck is the next Jacob Degrom. Then, I for you, that's I hope works, so, right? man. I hope so <laughs> because it's a joy to watch Jake. I know. Um, I just wanted to point out a, a fun side note. This Zach Cram article about the A's in the Ringer. Um, he mentions that Matt Olson not only has he you know continued to be a good hitter but he's also a gold glove favorite at first base and that's funny to me because he so he leads i think he like leads baseball in scoops at first base which on the one hand it's like that's awesome he's a great scooper on the other hand it means that the rest of the A's infield can't throw the ball for shit because he has to keep <laughs> digging. He has to keep digging the ball out of the dirt so much. So it's kind of a double-edged sword there. But uh, if I will take, we'll take all the help we can get at this point. Yeah, just to kind of wrap up on the A's because you know we're doing a really good job of jinxing them right now. But yeah, Vegas before the season gave them the lowest over/under total and the worst playoff odds of any team in the division. Dude, you should have bet. You were predicting 87 wins this whole time before we even had any idea they were going to be okay. Jesus, seriously. You should have put some money down on that, my guy. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> should have taken A's over and taken a long shot for them to make the playoffs. Yeah, it's, you know, they're creeping up on the Mariners. So we'll started see. that, uh, started paying off the student loans. Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> uh, real quick before we move on from the A's, I know we just wanted to mention that the A's, speaking of their bullpen, just traded for Jerry's Familia from the Mets for in exchange for a couple like low or, or like mid tier prospects. And the Mets' some, favorite like, thing, mid tier yeah, prospects, and some like international pool money or something, and that's just relevant to some of the stuff that we talk about on this podcast when it comes to players and their off-field behavior, um, namely issues surrounding like domestic domestic abuse and violence and and how that stuff kind of often gets papered over in the conversation. Um, It's not really something I saw mentioned at all uh, when the trade rumors were bubbling up over those couple days. And, you know, there was a lot of love from Mets Twitter um, about a lot of familiar. love from Mets there, Twitter. there was a ton of love, even from some of the people who, like, I really respect over there and just being like, thank you for everything. And there was a lot of love on the A's side as well, being like, we really need this to which I say, no, we we could have done something else we don't we did not need a domestic abuser in the locker room that's i'm okay y'all can keep it yeah Uh, it's just it's a very complex situation to talk about i i find yeah i find it weird the outpouring of love without any mention of his history and yeah it actually it actually made me a little uncomfortable like i saw no one talking about even some of like the more progressive baseball people who i follow I don't know, man. The only like criticism that I saw of the trade was like, thanks for blowing three games in the World Series. And I'm like, that's not that's not what we need to talk about here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, first of all, that wasn't even his fault. Second of all, there are larger issues here. Yeah. It goes back to what we talked about with like, if you're good, 
you're on a team. If you're bad, you might be on the team. If you're bad and you did something wrong, then you're off the team. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a pretty clear way of laying it out. That's yeah. I uh, I don't know. I don't know how you square like rooting for that now. It's a lot of people smarter than us have spent a lot of time trying to think about that. Yeah, I, it's tough, and like it's not. It's obviously not something that we. I mean, we have these conversations a lot, and we had a longer one earlier in the episode, so it's not something that we will need to try to reconcile right now, but we thought it worth mentioning a little bit because apparently other people are not interested in doing that. So Yeah. Speaking of the Mets. Speaking of the Mets, talk to me, buddy. How you doing over there? Are you okay? That's my least favorite phrase in the English language. <laughs> Speaking of the Mets. Speaking of the Mets. Um, I'm, I'm really... Like I'm approaching catatonic with this team. It's really bad. (laughs) Like I'm to the point where I think that they deserve as much public shaming as possible. I think they do. Keith Law wrote an article and called them North Marlins. That might be understating it. (laughs) That's that's incredible. That's so funny to me. At least the Marlins have a direction. Yeah. Well, and it's upwards in the standings, apparently, if the Mets have anything to do with it. Yeah, so the big gripe this week being that the Mets have been rehabbing Yoannis Cespedes for the better part of two and a half months in AA, and he was down there because he had a quad injury, one of many quad injuries he has had since becoming a Major League Baseball player, and one of many quad injuries he has had since becoming a New York Met. And he was fixing that. That caused some tightness in his hip area, uh, just from the way, I guess, from the way he was running or whatever. And then he had some hamstring issues as well because he just has legs that can't function. And so that was sort of just causing a lot of rippling effects. There were some rumors about a calf injury, all these different things. And so he finally had a solid start in the minors, a solid rehab stint. And then he played in a simulated game in which he was mashing and everything looked great. And we were like, yeah, we're about to get Cespedes back. You know, the the leader of the offensive side of this team. And they brought him back, and he had a great game against the Yankees. He went two for four, he had a home run, all these great things. And he was DHing just so that they could ease him back into the lineup. Then it comes out that apparently he has this heel problem that can only be corrected with surgery that will put him out eight to ten months. And the Mets have known about this this whole time, and yet they haven't mentioned it. And they've just been rehabbing his other injuries knowing that this heel problem has been the reason for the other injuries and they haven't done anything about it. So they've pushed back his clock for recovery by two to three months for no reason at all because this team is on pace to win 65 fucking games this year and apparently they need to bring him back and risk further injury. So that's where I'm at right now. A team that can't even get out of their own way when it comes to players who are injured. They can't even send him to get surgery. I don't understand. What's going on? Yeah, that's uh I don't have a good answer for you, man. That's rough. That's a that's really dumb. Like you're you're pushing it for him being able to start next season, not on the DL. Like why he has won't he not start had next the, season? Why has he not had the surgery yesterday? Why has he not had the surgery in fucking May? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They do this all the time where they're like they think it's they like they think that they can just come back. They think that it's a minor injury. They just ignore it. Blah, 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 blah. Like, if you're a Mets fan, or if you're a Mets player at this point, every time you go on the DL, you should just be like, I want surgery now. That's essentially the only solution. Because apparently they don't have doctors who can tell people the right answers. Yeah. Or maybe they do have doctors who are telling people the right answers. Maybe they just have a bunch of freaking morons in the front office. Is there a, is there one smart person in the front office right now? Is there one person who knows how to make any decision right? It's almost like, they know the right decision and they choose to make the wrong one because you cannot be wrong this many times without at least knowing what the right decision was. I'm just going to let you keep going, man. You're on a roll there. I am furious. I'm furious. I'm getting to the point where like probably about 2010 range, I stopped watching the Mets entirely because I just, I couldn't handle it. It just, it gave me too much stress in my life that I didn't need at a time that I was like, entering high school <laughs> and like needed to deal with other things in life and i was just like this is ridiculous they're putting out a trash team 
and I can't watch it. And now we're back at that point. Eric Dendecker played center field in the Subway series on Friday. And it's just like the only the literally the only reason to watch the Mets right now is Jacob DeGrom and Noah Syndergaard. There's no other reason. You don't need I don't need to watch them bat. <laughs> I don't need to watch them do anything else. I, I'm I'm truly getting to the point where it's like I don't even feel like they deserve to be watched by their fans. And it, yeah. it takes a lot for me to feel that way. Like it, it takes yeah. a lot. No, you fans should not be giving their money to this organization right now. And frankly, um, so obviously Mets fans are clearly upset about this. Like it is, it's not, I mean, it's very obvious, right? How the fan base uh, feels about the ownership and about what the hell is going on in that front office. Cause you see it all over Twitter. I mean, this is something that people talk about very often. And even if you are just my caliber for like how angry uh, Mets fans are, like Mets fans no, are I'm not calibrated really high angry. enough, dude. I'm, I'm pretty even keeled when it comes to some of the Mets fans that I see. Yeah, no. So, so the Mets ownership is operating like under malpractice at this point. Like this is, they have run this operation so poorly. And frankly, it's on members of the media to like call it how it is. Yeah. Like if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a freaking duck that yeah. doesn't know how to run a baseball team. It's like, and I have seen- <laughs> I'm getting that tattooed maybe- <laughs> on me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! It's, it's like so how I, I have feel. I have I have seen Keith Law and Mark Carrig as maybe the only two prominent media members actually call out the front office for running the team so poorly. Not 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 necessarily the front office, but the ownership um, for running the team so poorly. And this is like what the should be the media's job is not like grilling the players on what's going on, but saying, why isn't this ownership giving the team an opportunity to win? Because if they're not, Rob Manfred should step in himself because he does everything himself to end force the willpower. Yeah, he should show up at the, the door. Team. Show up at the door like Robocop. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, <laughs> like Rob Manfred is apparently so obsessed with what's bad for baseball. How is this not awful for baseball that an entire fan base is fed up with the ownership and doesn't want to go to baseball games anymore because they're being run by toddlers. Like, I don't understand it. If this is not bad for your brand, I don't know what it is. It's not even just that like fans are mad at ownership because like that, that happens in a lot of places like Orioles fans don't love Peter Angelos. That's for sure. He won't even sign Latin players. He's just straight up racist. And that's malpractice too. That's a different thing that we can't really get into right now. But it's just that for so long, the second team in New York is operating like they're not a team in New York. Yeah, like like, they're a team in like Nebraska. That is actively bad for baseball. It's just, it's not just bad for Mets fans. And it's not just frustrating because we can't spend like the Yankees. We can't spend like Cleveland. We can't spend like Philly. We can't spend like Houston. I mean, these are all big markets too, but Houston is the fourth largest city in America. New York is the biggest fucking market in America, period. And they're playing it like it's Miami and no one's coming to games. They're playing it like it's Minnesota. And of course they would say differently. They would say, you know, we spend as we can. We spend as we see fit, blah, 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 blah. But it's it's just, it's obvious that they don't do that. I mean, good fundies the guys at good fundies have put together several examples. They put together a huge spreadsheet of this, of the fact that the Mets don't spend. And it's just like, if Rob Manfred truly wants what's best for baseball and truly wants national appeal, it would serve him well to have a second team in New York that can compete with the Yankees. That's a fun rivalry. The subway series is happening right now. No one cares. (laughs) No one cares. I don't even care. Filter out malpractice by owners before you start policing players. Ioannis Cespedes is getting bitched at for wearing his fucking hat backwards and having chains <laughs> around his neck. Meanwhile, the Wilpons can literally just rip this team off. They're doing a Jeffrey Loria right in front of our eyes. They're in the yeah. largest city in America, the biggest market in America for sports, and they're still running a payroll out there, which is below league average. You can't tell me that their revenue is not above league average because it, it has to be. I have been to many Mets games and there are people there still. People still go because they still like this team. It's not like no one's showing up. The upper deck is open. 
which isn't it's not the case in Miami. <laughs> and Jeffrey Loria <laughs> was still ripping that franchise off. So I don't understand how the league won't do anything. And yeah, so you can't really... force them to spend. You can't be like, you have to spend X amount of money because there's no language in that in the CBA. But you can be like, this is malpractice. Sell the team. You could you can't tell me that Manfred can't pressure them to sell the team because I've seen it happen in other sports leagues. I mean, I will say like there should be a salary floor like there should be a certain amount of money you have to spend to put a competitive product onto the field and if you can't afford that or don't want to pay that you shouldn't be owning a friggin' baseball team like these people love to treat it like it's just uh, another stock right like it's a por- part of their investment for portfolio but it's like that's not how this works buddy sorry and rob manfred absolutely should be doing something about that and fans love to get upset at the general manager or the general front office um, when they sell up, you know, the A's have become the the butt of the joke around the league because they're notorious for selling their, uh, for trading their players away before they get too expensive. But why it's the A's front office that has become ridiculed and not the ownership is like beyond me. Like every fan, if they're, if the, the team is not willing to spend money, every fan should be outraged at ownership and be like, why the hell are you not interested in putting a winning product on the field? It uh, it blows my mind, man. If we're being honest, we should just have socialism in baseball and everyone should have the same payroll and they shouldn't be owned by individual people. They, sh- they should be owned by the collective fan bases that support them. Yep. But that's <laughs> a far cry from happening. That would solve all of these issues, but it's, you know, it's whatever. They have like they have revenue sharing, but eh, is that really doing that much when the only goal is to make a profit, a personal profit? Yeah. So anyway, th- things things are good in Queens, right? I will say Sandy Alderson deserves some blame for this. Their front office decisions have not been good in terms of player personnel either. Why are we signing old veterans who don't know how to play defense for similar amounts that we could be signing younger players who do know how to play defense? Like it's it's such a basic <laughs> equation. I don't I don't fully understand it. Like why is Jay Bruce on this team and Lorenzo Cain is not? It's just yeah, simple not, things like that. You're not going to hear an argument from me. It's it's malpractice on all fronts, to be honest. Yeah. The people in the front office, the people in the medical staff, the people uh in the communications department and the ownership. And you can believe that it's a top-down kind of situation and, and I do. But also I think everyone is to blame. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. I hate feeling so powerless in this, but it's whatever. <laughs> I know I said we were going to talk about the only saving grace in the Mets organization, but also apparently he has a mysterious injury as well, which is just like, they've ruined even Tim Tebow. (laughs) The Mets organization has found a way to put weird injuries on even Tim Tebow, Heisman Trophy winning, God loving and fearing Tim Tebow. Uh, Yeah, they would sign Jesus and somehow he'd manage to crop up some mysterious injury that would sideline him for... Like 40 days and 40 nights or something like that. <laughs> He'd pull a hammy. Jesus has a pulled hammy. Sorry. He can't uh, rise yeah. from the it? dead today. <laughs> what is this uh, What is this injury? Do you know anything about it? Um, I'll just... SNY wrote a little article about it. Uh, it says, right hand and wrist discomfort. He left Thursday's Rumble Bunnies game in the seventh inning after a swing. So I guess he had a weird swing. He is like... Uh, He's one of those players who's almost a little too strong to be a baseball player. Like he's a little too bulky because when he swings so hard, it's like his joints can't handle that sudden start and stop. I feel like so he just kind of tweaked it swinging. Maybe he did this. I think he's done this a couple times now. Yeah, that's rough, man. If even Tim Tebow can't stay healthy, I, I don't know, man. There's there's no hope left. Like, like God was up there watching him and was like, I don't know, man, I even I can't save you from this training staff. You're on your own. He's still slashing 273, 336, 399 with six home runs. <laughs> uh, well, I hope he makes a speedy comeback so we can see him in, in September. I'm not even kidding. He's a solid option for them right now. <laughs> he really is. They started Matt Dendecker in center field. So it's like, 
what do we have to lose at this point? <laughs> 273, 336, 399. That's pretty yeah, good. It's not bad. Is that that uh that slugging percentage is not great. <laughs> he said they asked him about if he thinks he's gonna get called up. He said, I can't worry about any of that. I have to stay focused on the process and not the maybes, not the hypothetical, not the what ifs. I don't think that's a place that an athlete can live. So down to earth. Well, Fangraphs uh, projects Tim to hit exactly 200 if he gets called up. So, you know what? He could do a lot worse. That's not bad. Uh, Matt Dendecker is also projected to hit 200. So, frankly, what do they have to lose at this point? Except sell a few more tickets. I'm now just I'm now just on the side of they should just do it. Just because this is the biggest joke I've ever seen. Yeah. So let's just let's do it. All right, man. You know, we're we're slowly heading towards that at this point. All right. Let's end this because this has gone so long and I feel like I'm delirious about the Mets. So I don't want to say something I can't take back. <laughs> Well, this was fun. It's fun talking about the All-Star game and the uh, differing fates of the A's and the Mets. If uh, if y'all have any listener questions, we love to answer it so much that we went for like 20 minutes on a listener question segment. So And that was just one it, question. Yeah, one question. So if you guys sent us two, it'd be like that'd be a, a email email show for us. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as Bobby said, tippingpitchespod at gmail.com or our uh, our DMs are open or if you just have anything else you want to chat with us about we we love to hear from our loyal fans yeah we'll talk about dog photos players and their dogs absolutely um, Manny Machado apparently has the cutest dog ever um, and so does Carlos Correa so any other players like if Francisco Lindor has a dog that I don't know about somebody hit me up <laughs> yeah I'm here for it anyway thanks for listening everyone we will see you next week. Yeah.